0: All right, it's late, it's time to go to bed, and the worst imaginable thing can happen. Something goes wrong in your home, right? It's a leaky pipe, you see a crack that wasn't there before, all of a sudden there's just rumbling noises coming from the furnace, and you're just thinking, oh no. Some of us are still renting, and so maybe we can just call the landlord, but for those of us who own homes, this is terrifying, because now I have to do something to fix the house. And I think that many of us fit into one of two schools as to how we respond to this oh no moment of a problem in the house. And the first kind is the kind who thinks they have no ability to fix anything, right? And so some of us are like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? We start running around and we get really nervous and we start panicking. We start calling, you know, our father-in-law or whatever. You know, you're trying to figure out somehow to get this thing fixed. And maybe your spouse goes, you know, it's really not a big deal. Uh, we just need to change the light bulb. I don't think the electricity in the house is out. I don't think anything's blown up. It's just a light bulb, okay? Chill out. But some of us are just really helpless. When we see something go wrong, we're like, man, I have no idea how to fix anything in my house. And we freak out. The other extreme are the people who are way too confident, right? The people who are like, oh, I can fix it. No problem. This is simple enough. And so, uh, you know, it's like, dear, just give me a give me a duct tape and some hammers and I'll fix this. And it's just like there's a foundational problem with our house. There's a crack in the foundation. There's gas spewing from the mainstream. This is not something duct tape. Will fit. No, I can do it. I am capable. And so we kind of have people that tend to be sort of way underconfident or way overconfident about how to deal with those things. And this can be true of lots of different kinds of problems. Maybe our household problems is a silly way to talk about it. But when we look at the bigger problems in our world, we can feel this way too. We all look around us and see issues from small things like getting enough funding for our local schools or making sure that there's ample light on the street to bigger issues like global poverty and racism and injustice and all these other things that happen in our society that we know we don't want to see happen. And we can be those two kinds of people. We can be so underconfident and so helpless. We're like, what are you going to do about it? Right? You know, Susie, do you think you could bake some cookies for the school bake sale? You'll have to sell a billion cookies to get enough money to help anything around here. What's the point? Woe is me, right? That's kind of the underconfident side. The overconfident side are the people that freak out. Have you ever had someone that is so concerned about an issue that they focus on you as if you could fix it? You know, you have a receipt in your pocket. Put a little piece of gum in the receipt. You throw it in the trash. That's why the rainforests are dying is because of people like you. You're like, my receipt is killing the rainforest? That seems to be a bit extreme. And they're like, no, it's just the the waste of paper. And you're like, it was this big. But they think that you alone will kind of turn the tide. And they're sort of overconfident in their ability to make a difference in the world. It's something that we probably face as a church to sometimes. That we can look around at the ways we want to have a positive uh, impact on our our community. And we can say, oh, The problems that we are trying to face are just so big for us, why do we even try? Or we could say, hey, we're perfect. We can save this. We can fix this. There's no problem we can't handle. Let's go tackle it. This is a constant dilemma that we live in. And I've talked about big things, but it's little things too. Some of us look at our bills and go, those are so overwhelming. Who cares? Let's just go out for dinner and hope the bill collectors don't ever come. And others of us are like, that $10,000 of debt, I will end it today, right? You know, like, because somehow you're going to magically find that money in your couch cushions. And we can vacillate back and forth between I can do nothing and I can do everything. And it can be very exhausting. Uh, Today's story is going to be a story where Jesus kind of deals with this problem. He has a problem come to him that's a really big problem. And this impulse to do too little or to do too much kind of comes his way. And Jesus responds to it um, in an interesting way that hopefully uh, helps us to learn. So uh, we're going to read the story a little bit at a time. First, we're going to start out in John chapter 6. If you're new with us, we've been going through this series uh, called... um, next to Jesus, where we've been going through the book of John and we look at all these stories where Jesus meets another person and they have a one-on-one interaction. And this is one of those interactions that he has with his disciples. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. So they're out in the middle of the desert. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, and he's gathered big crowds to him. And we hear that he has uh, either 5,000 or 4,000, one or the other, amount of people around him, right? And he's got to feed them. And he, tell, he asks Philip, he's like, well, what do you think we should do, Philip? And Philip is immediately the I-don't-have-enough-resources guy, Right? He goes, do you know how much money it would cost for us to feed these people? I'm not rich. I don't have the cash just sitting around to feed 4,000 people. We've got to send them away. We've got to send them somewhere else. We've got to find something else to do with them because there's no way that we can handle it. And his immediate response in the face of a massive challenge is, let's give up and tell them to take care of themselves. See, it's a very quick jump if we're not careful between I don't have the resources to fix that problem and I don't even care about that problem, right? Sometimes there's a problem that's so big, we feel overwhelmed and we're like, well, how am I gonna fix it? And so our response to it is, well, let's not even try. Clearly that's not my job. This is what we say, maybe you've heard this uh, somewhat frequently, someone will say something like, um, why do I pay taxes? Right? So this week we were um, cleaning up around the grounds of the church and there's always garbage on the streets. I just, no matter what we do, I discovered this week I literally would clean an expanse, pick my girls up from school, came back 20 minutes later, there's garbage where I just cleaned it up. Right? This will never stop. And it's easy to look at the litter issue. As it's just a minor thing and go, how are we ever going to fix this? How is this ever going to get any better? And it's very easy to go, well, what do I pay taxes for? We should have street cleaners that are doing this. Why, you know, why, are, why don't we have people coming here and fixing this for us? It's very easy to get in that mindset that that's somebody else's problem. Because it takes a lot of resources, I don't have to worry about it. That's somebody else's job. How are we going to make sure our kids get educated? Well, that's the teacher's job, Right. How are we going to make sure our kids learn about God? That's the preacher's job. <laughs> I don't hear that too often, but that's something people say, right? There's all these kind of places where we have this massive challenge and we can be tempted to say, I'm not capable to do it. It's not my, my job. And that's kind of what Philip is saying. Jesus, I'm not a rich guy. Stop asking me to feed these people. What am I going to do about it? Uh, that's Philip's interaction with Jesus. Jesus. Andrew, however, has a very different um, kind of way of looking at it. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Um, For those of us who are parents or deal with kids, um, every once in a while, I don't know if you've had this experience, maybe your kids hear you talk about money and you being nervous about money, right? Maybe it's a small thing. Um, you just put the car in the shop. It's going to be, you know, a $400 repair or whatever. And you're on the phone and you're like, Ugh, 400 bucks for a new uh, something. I don't even know what it's called, right? And your kids go, and it's always so heartbreaking. You know, you, I try not to have this happen, but your kids hear it and they like grab their piggy bank, right? And they're like, dad, you can borrow some of my piggy bank money if it'll help you with the car repair. And it's very cute. It's kind of ridiculous. It's maybe a little overconfident. That piggy bank does not have $400 in it. If it did, I would have raided it long ago, right? You know, like that money is not there. But um, they're just trying their best. They're like, dad, I know you're worried about this and this is all I've got, so here you go. I want you to have it. And this is the response of Andrew. Notice, Andrew does not have faith about what's going to happen here. If you read the verse, he says, I don't know what you're going to do with it, but, you know, here's some fish and some bread. Hopefully it helps. You know, like we won't be able to get them all, but maybe we'll get one. Uh, The old preacher story about the jellyfish comes to mind. I don't even want to tell it because it's so corny and cliche, but, you know, there's a story about all these jellyfish who have starfish, not jellyfish, jellyfish would hurt. That's how much I didn't want to tell the story. Starfish that have all come up on the shore, right? And they're all dying because they've come up ashore. And the guy picks one up and throws it into the ocean. And the guy next to him says, you're crazy. Why'd you throw him back in? You're never going to save these thousands of starfish. And he goes, no, but I saved that one. That is kind of what Andrew is doing. I can't feed 4,000 people, but I can feed four. Is that okay? But there's a faith in that. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to make the steps that I know I can make. And so Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing, but boom. This is everything I've got. I've emptied the piggy bank. I hope that this can make a difference. And it does. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the, le- the loaves He gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Sorry, Preston, that's my fault. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Um, obviously this story challenges our, um, our modern scientific senses, right? Uh, this is something that's not easily explainable. This is obviously a miraculous occurrence. The idea that these, these fish and these loaves will be multiplied out to be able to feed thousands of people. Um, that's a great conversation we could have someday, probably not today. I don't have enough time about miracles and the suspension of the laws of nature and how miracles work or why they would work. Uh, needless to say there's lots of stuff like this in the bible and for those people who follow jesus often we just believe that god does amazing things sometimes and he did those amazing things in jesus and so jesus feeds all of these people and there's a really easy platitude we could say here that god can multiply your work that if you give god something he can make it something far bigger and we can kind of um, we can kind of do the hallmark card version of that, right? Like we could kind of like put that on a t-shirt or a nice greeting card and be like, or a bumper sticker. That would be the best, right? God'll multiply your fishes.com or something. and we just make lots of money selling people junk with this you know inspirational idea that God will multiply whatever you do. But the reality is that when it comes to some of these problems we were talking about, not only is it hopeful that God could do it, we kind of need him to. Have you ever um have you ever wondered why someone really changes their mind? You know, let's talk, you know, um, let's say we're trying to convince people to be less selfish and try to convince people to give more and to help deal with poverty and hungry and, and hunger in our country and in our world, right? And the question is, how do you make someone less selfish? I think we've all had the experience of making a really great, carefully worded argument about anything, and it going absolutely nowhere, right? You use as much logic as possible to say, hey, here's something that you should think or something you should do. And they're like, nah, I don't buy it. And you're like, but there's all this evidence and I spent all this time and the article gets put well together. And they're like, no, nope, don't care, don't believe it. And then there's other times where you maybe made an offhand comment and someone goes, whoa, man, that's deep. And you're like, no, it's not deep. It just came off the top of my head. I wasn't trying to think about that. I just said it. But yet somehow you convince someone to think differently about something. And we've had so many times where we have in vain tried to make a difference in the world and other times where we've made a difference by accident and it kind of shows us it's, it's not really the, the quality of your argument, right? Sometimes it's not the effort that you put in. Sometimes it's not how much work you do. Sometimes things work and things don't work. We had a big event yesterday, and we had at least three or four families that said they came via a Facebook ad. Okay, I have spent hundreds of dollars on Facebook ads with nary a single person come via it. Yesterday, we spent like 30 bucks, and we had four or five families. Why did it work this time? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I do believe as a Christian... That part of that is God moves sometimes, and he doesn't others. There are times where people stand up and speak God's word, and it clicks. And it brings change, and it convicts hearts, and it moves people, and it makes the world different. There are times where for some reason you bring the five, you know, the the fish and the loaves and all you've got are fish and loaves. And another time you bring it and you feed 5,000 people and you're like, how does that work? And we don't know all the time, but we have to be like Andrew and try, right? You have to look at whatever challenge that is in front of you, whether it's plumbing or school funding or your budget or poverty on the planet, right? Whatever the issue is, you bring your fishes, you bring your loaves, and you say, God, please do something with this. Because if you don't do it, I can't do it by myself. But sometimes he just waits for you to start, right? He waits for you to do it first. He waits for you to go, this is what I got. Um. This passage was kind of helpful for this week because uh, we're the feast church, right? The reason for that name is we have this metaphor uh, that comes from the book of Luke where God says that his kingdom, the way he wants the world to work, is that it's going to be a big banquet that everybody is welcome to and that the most unusual and unexpected characters show up to that feast, And so I love this passage for our anniversary service because it's about Jesus feeding people, right? It's about Jesus creating a table 5,000 people big. But I also love the passage because it's a little bit of the story of what we've experienced and what we hope to continue to experience. Hopefully you saw, even if you're new in that video, like little steps, right? Like that first service project. Was, you know, you and me and Cassie and Seth and one other person, you know, like it was just like five of us. Like we didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to work along. We had living rooms and, you know, we uh, the times that we used to meet in that old playhouse with the animated monkey on the wall. You know, like there was just all these weird times where it was just kind of the small dinky thing. And sometimes, honestly, it still feels small and dinky, right? And sometimes you're like... We want to be a church that's here for 100 years. And we want to be a church that makes a difference in our neighborhood. And we want it to be a place that people walk by and say, that is a group of people who loves this city. We want to be a church that continues to make a difference in people's lives. And it can feel like, wow, that's a really big job. I don't know if we should even try. And God says, bring me your fish, bring me your loaves, and let me do something with it. And so yesterday was cool. We've done events like this. It's never been as busy as yesterday. I think all of our exhaustion last night was proof that it's never worked as well as it did yesterday. We couldn't even, I mean, it sounds bigger than it is. We couldn't count how many people were there, okay? There was enough, usually there's a slow enough rotation. I can kind of figure out who's there and get a number. But yesterday, I don't know, 200 people probably When all said and done. And it's just a constant rotation. We had 50, 60 people in the yard the whole day long. And, you know, some of it's small stuff. Kids getting a bounce in a bounce house or, you know, eating way too much sugar that their parents will be angry that we gave them or something like that, right? Maybe it's those little things. But there's also, like, legitimate conversations. Talking with somebody about their employment and how they're doing trying to find a job. Or hanging out and saying, how how you doing with the baby? What's, what's that like? You know, uh, making new friendships or... I'm hearing good laughter out of the class in the the hall right there's just um, it sounds kind of cliche but there have been hundreds of people in two years that have been touched by this church one way or the other I mean there were hundreds of people yesterday that were touched in one way or another And I think about Crossroads and making the meal for the homeless there. And I think of the people we helped get jobs when we worked with the Congolese refugees. Like, there's just all these little ways that we just brought fish and we brought loaves and we did more than we had any right to get away with doing, right? Because God blessed it. And so I just want to, I mean, that's our story as a church, but I don't want to be obsessed with that. Um, I just want to tell you that there are things that God wants to do with your life. Um, for those of us who are believers here and followers of Jesus, just keep giving them the fish, right? Just keep going on that journey. Uh, for people who are here and visiting, we'd love for you to be, make this church part of that journey. We are constantly trying to add new people and new voices and new, new perspectives to this community to help us continue to do this better. Uh, Whether it's church, small groups, service projects, social stuff. We're just always trying to grow and create an authentic community of people who are being blessed by God. But also, um, you know, I don't know everybody's faith. Maybe some of you are still here and you're not real sure about church. There's been a lot of Jesus talk and like worship and what's worship mean and why are we doing this. There could be all of that stuff. And I guess that the simple good news for you today is that whatever hurdle you are trying to overcome, God can multiply your efforts. He can help you to get past those things, those challenges, those struggles, those hurts, those pains. And those are some next steps that he would love to help you with if you just give your life over to him. Um, as you guys, uh, as I mentioned, we do a Q&A at the end of our sermons. And we believe, part of the reason this, we have uh, four core values of the church. One of those core values is dialogue, the idea that people learn better when they have conversations than when they're just talked at. If you're interested about those core values, they're actually beautifully on this chalkboard back here that Seth has put together. Um, But if there are any questions today about this sermon, about the passage, about the application, about anything I've said, this is your time to ask questions, and I will do my best to respond to those questions. So anyone have any questions? All right, I think I can answer that. So we do a recording for a podcast, and I never answer, ask the question over into the microphone, so I'm going to do that now. So your question is, um, take in this idea of bringing your loaves and your fishes, combining it with the idea of community, and we're two or more and gathered in Jesus' name. There he is with them also. How do we um, use community to better help see our purpose and our place within God's work in the world is that good all right um, that's a really it's a good question um, some of this is you just you figure it out as you go like I think about the chemistry of like a basketball team you know um, this this is a metaphor only a few of you will probably like but the Celtics right just re rechanged over their team they got three or four brand new players Their starting five is almost completely new from last year And they're good players, but the question has been, how are these guys going to exist together? It takes a while to know when a guy makes certain kinds of cuts to the basket and when the guy needs a certain kind of pass. If all you're hearing is sports, 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 I promise I'm getting to something else. So, um, But in all of that, there's just this idea that when you work with a team, it takes a while to get into it, but then you start to fit into um, a zone of something you're good at. And that the other people are not necessarily... And the distinction between you and other people becomes clear as you work together. What's that? It is very difficult when one of them breaks their ankles two two minutes into the game. Yes, but um, the team's worked out. I mean, I feel like Preston and I have a very good sense now about how one another does things. And that's just because we've been through a million things together. So I think some of it's just time. Um, I think there's... There is places, and we probably should do better about this, where we can affirm other people's gifts. Like, we should all be that for other people, um, where we can walk up to somebody and just be like, you know, Courtney, when it comes to decisions, you just need to have a lot of clarity in your decision-making ability. Like, when we say, hey, we think we wanna do this, you go, it's probably not a good idea, and here's three reasons why. And it's like, oh, those are reasons why that's a bad idea, right? And, you know, you're, you're, like, you're kind of new to us compared to some other people, but I've already seen that ability in you, right? Um, Nate is just the best pragmatics guy in the world, right? He's just like, all right, how is that going to work exactly? And, you know, so we learn those things getting along. I mean, so I think some of it happens over time, but some of it is also doing that for other people. and Hopefully they'll do it for you to where they'll speak into your life. Um, there's also more explicit discernment processes. I know Fran and I went through a church planter evaluation program that tried to sit and talk with us for over several days to see if we were probably good fits to be church planters. Uh, that's probably a lot more formal than a lot of people would have, but there's ways to develop things like that. Uh, I think that's something we could do really well in a retreat format, particularly if we had a, a ladies retreat that somebody would run. Um just saying ladies uh it would be maybe a very good ladies retreat that would be a possibility so uh but yeah i mean does i don't know does that help a little bit any other questions um you always describe him as a kid um i don't have my bible with me i'm guessing in one of the synoptics they say it was a boy or a child i don't remember it in this passage today but um, so yeah, that's my guess. It What they said is Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, being Peter like big time Peter, Peter's brother. So, And you may remember we did a sermon all about Andrew in the summer because Andrew appears three times in the Gospel of John. And what does he do every time he appears? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? The only thing Andrew ever does in the Gospel of John. Why do I preach? What? No. Oh, no. <laughs> Carolyn. What was it? He always brings people to Jesus. The only thing Andrew ever does is connect people to Jesus. He doesn't really talk. He doesn't do much. He just always goes, hey, Jesus is cool. Come with me and meet him. He does that three times. The boy and the fishes with, um, 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 oh, my gosh. With the fi- I know. <laughs> with the fig tree guy. And uh, we just did the sermon about um, Nathaniel. Yeah. He brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And later on, he brings some Gentiles to Jesus to have a conversation with him. So the question is, God does things the way he wants to do them. So what's the incentive to be prepared and come into it? It's because you never know how he's going to want to do it. And, (laughs) you know, like uh, the way we've talked about it um, in a different context. Uh, Think about like a key mechanism. where you have like four or five like disks that spin and they have a little gap in them opportunities to make change in the world are the moments when four or five of those discs all align. And when you live in a somewhat cynical, angry, messed up world, those gaps get tinier and tinier and tinier. And you're vigilant because the unpredictability is the reasons for the vigilance. Jesus tells many uh, metaphors about like the bridegroom, where they're waiting all night for the bridegroom to come and half of them run out of oil and they're like, oh, I ran out of oil. They run to the store. and The bridegroom comes while they're out. And it might be frustrating, but that's because that's the way God works. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you got, we got five fish. That's all we got. And he's like, okay, I'll take that. But yeah, you do what you can do. Yeah, a lot of this theme is just the idea of faithfulness. You know, that you remain faithful to what you've got and what you're capable of. So. Um, and